You know, there's really no such thing as a secret in a small village community like Capernaum, especially given what's just unfolded. The whole town is buzzing about the news of this Jesus guy. Well, I hear he just healed a man with leprosy. Well, well, someone told me that that, that he cast a demon out of his cousin. Man, man, I don't even know if I'm ready to believe all of this. All of this is just a little crazy. But the rumors were true. And Jesus has returned to his new hometown of Capernaum. All of, the, all of the stores were closing up shop early. People were calling in sick. Even the people who, who had plans to get away to the Sea of Galilee for a quick weekend were canceling their Airbnbs because they did not want to miss the chance to see Jesus in the flesh, to miss the opportunity to see what is he going to do next. And there was one man in particular He'd canceled all of his appointments later on in that day, and he began to make his way with the rest of the crowd. And he turned down that quaint dirt road for the first time, and he saw that house that was rumored to be where Jesus was staying, and the crowd was already starting to fill up. There was a sense of excitement and commotion in the air. He opens the door and he kind of slides in and finds one of the last remaining spots near the entrance to the home. And there was this hushed silence over the crowd as everyone was just waiting on every word that came out of the mouth of Jesus. And this man's jaw began to drop as for the first time he began to hear and understand what we now call the gospel. The good news, the unfathomable love and grace of the Lord. And then he had an idea. He leans forward and he he taps a few of his buddies on their shoulders. He begins to whisper to them his idea. Well, what if we... And they kind of look back to him and they know he's right. And so they nod and they all kind of squeeze out of the house and they begin to take off in a sprint and they make one turn, two turns, six turns and they get to the center of the town where where their sprint begins to slow to a hurried walk but they have these massive grins on their face because there he is, the man that they needed to find. Now they knew he would be there in the center of town because that's where he was every day. That was his spot. And without asking, these four friends, they they grabbed the four corners of this man's mat that he was sitting on, and they began to drag him away from the center of town. But he didn't have to ask them, what are you guys doing? Because he knew what they were thinking, because he too was thinking the same exact thing. As a man with paralysis, He was just glad that somebody thought of him, that maybe he too could get to see this Jesus guy for the first time. And as they dragged him down the dirt roads, heading back to that home, this man who's been sitting on a mat his entire life is filled with hope for possibly the first time ever. But then as they approached the home, 
things began to shift because the crowd that was filling up the house actually had swelled to outside and had begun to encircle the entire home. And, and they drug the man as close as they could to the rest of the crowd, but they remained just out of eyesight in earshot of the man they came to see. And this man's hope began to dissolve as the murmurs of the crowd began to muffle the words of the one they came to see and hear. But what is about to happen next will be nothing short of miraculous. What is about to happen next will be nothing short of controversial. Welcome to week two in our series through the Gospel of Mark. We've entitled this series Mark Madness, with today being Selection Sunday and all. Um, Just kidding, it's just the Gospel of Mark. We didn't get super creative on this one. But we do have these handy-dandy bookmarks for you guys to follow along with. We did do that intentionally. And so if you grab one of these from the seat back in front of you, you can follow along with us over the next six weeks. We're in week two today. Monday through Thursday, there are some passages that we would love for you to read. Monday through Thursday. Uh, On the other side, there are three questions that we encourage you to answer. Whether you want to just think about those, you want to journal them, you want to talk to somebody else, it's up to you. But the cool part is, every single day before noon on our Facebook pages, uh, there will be a chance for you to get a a video devotional whether it's somebody on our staff or someone a part of our volunteer teams as we walk through this series together. Now we're going through the Gospel of Mark, the book of Mark, but we're doing it a little bit differently than we tend to do when we go through an entire book study. You see, normally we go maybe verse by verse or chapter by chapter, but actually what we're doing through the book of Mark is we're following this key word throughout its pages. It's the Greek word euthus. Everybody say it with me. Euthus. It's a Greek word translated as immediately 14 times in the NIV translation, but this word is used 41 times throughout the entire book of Mark. It's this word that means immediately, and it speaks to the passion and to the cadence, to the immediacy of how Jesus is moving through his life and his ministry. Jesus immediately went to this person. Jesus immediately taught these things. Jesus immediately knew what was in their hearts and what was in their minds. And so what we're doing is we're finding the times in which the word immediately appears and we're connecting that to the stories. Because the book of Mark is a little bit different. It's the shortest gospel, but it's very specific in what it's trying to communicate to us. Is there's this overarching theme that the, that the author, Mark, he wants us to walk away with. He wants us to understand this one truth about who Jesus is, and it's this. It's that Jesus is our suffering servant. That all throughout the pages of the Old Testament, specifically the prophets, specifically the prophet of Isaiah, specifically chapters 52 and 53, it speaks of the one that God will send that will suffer on behalf of the sin of the world so that we can be made right with God. And Jesus is that man who will willingly serve us even to the point of death on a cross. But as we kind of go through the pages and we navigate the stories of the book of Mark, there's almost an underlying question that he wants us as the readers and as the audience to to wrestle with. 
The first question is simply this, that is Jesus worthy to be followed? It's a question that you will have to answer at some point in this life. Is Jesus worthy to be followed? And there's only two right answers to this question. It's either yes or it's no. And so what Mark is kind of doing, he's, he's telling you the story about the life of Jesus, letting you decide, is it plausible? Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was? Did he do the things he claimed he was going to do? Do you believe that he is actually the one that God has sent to be our suffering servant? Is Jesus worthy to be followed? Second question is a follow-up. That if so, will you? Is Jesus worthy to be followed? If so, will you? Because how you answer and how you lean in to that question has implications not just for this life, but for all of eternity. So if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Mark. It's the second book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark. There's two other books called Luke and John that collectively we call the Gospels. They tell us about the life of Jesus. If you have your Bible and you go to about six-sevenths of the way through, you should be able to find the book of Mark there. If you have an app or a phone, you might have one of those apps that, are, or you have a phone or tablet that has one of those apps that looks like a Bible. Press on that, that app and then find the book of Mark. Press, press that and then find chapter 2. And we're going to start off in verse 1 today. As we're getting ready to this, for this story that's going to unfold before us, well, we need to catch you up to what's happened up to this point. You see, Jesus has been born of the Virgin Mary. He's actually been baptized by John the Baptist. The Spirit of the Lord has descended upon Jesus. Jesus goes into the wilderness, and he is tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights, but he remains strong. He doesn't give in. And then he begins his public ministry by proclaiming the kingdom of God is here. And he has healed a leper. He has healed a woman of her fever. He has casted out demons. And this is where the life of Jesus continues today. Book of Mark, chapter 2, following with me, starting in verse 1. It says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then they lowered the mat the man was lying on. And then it says, when Jesus saw their faith. So here's what's going on. Jesus has come back to town. He's come back to Capernaum. And he's in, in, in a house, probably about a quarter of the size of this room. And he's teaching people about the love of God, the grace of God, the gospel, as we begin to call it. And these four guys, they have brought this man, and they're, they're peeking over the edge of the crowd, and they know that no one is going to let them in no matter what. And it's probably in this moment that the paralyzed man starts to lose all hope. Well, guys, thanks, thanks for thinking about me. Thanks for bringing me here. Thanks for trying. And then one of his buddies gets another idea. He goes, guys, 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 guys. I get it. I, I've got an idea. 
just, just, okay, well, watch it. Just, just follow me. Come on. Let's grab him. And then all of a sudden, they get onto the roof of this house. Now, the houses then were, were typically just like a giant block. They were, they were square. But there were stairs on the outside of the, uh, uh, of the house that led directly to the roofs. And the roofs were flat because that is where people would hang out in the coolness of night. They would lay out their clothes or their vegetables to be dried out. And so get, just, just get this picture in your mind, okay, for a second. Here is Jesus in the middle of this packed house teaching about the love of God. And then you just hear this coming down from the roof and this The guy who owns the house is like, wait a second. I told, I told the roofers to come back next week. Jesus was coming and they needed to wait. And Jesus is teaching and the whole crowd is silent and, and particles of dust and shrapnel are falling from the thatch of the roof. And then all of a sudden you just see this little hole and this, this little head pops through with two eyes and just says, yep, we overshot by about 10 feet. We need to go that way a little more. And so you hear this, doof, 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 and then you just hear this banging and this pounding. And, and all of a sudden, this giant piece of like drywall just falls at the feet of Jesus. And this beam of light just covers Jesus. And Jesus is like, wait a second. I'm not supposed to go up to heaven yet. What's going on here? And then like out of like a Christian cheesy production, this man with these ropes just kind of descends from the roof. and they just lay him down at the feet of Jesus, and he's just lying there. What's up, everyone? This is crazy. It says, Jesus saw their faith. Their faith. He didn't say Jesus saw the faith of the paralyzed man. Now, we don't know if there was representative of the four friends and the paralyzed men, or maybe it was simply just the four friends who took it upon themselves to drag their friend from the center of town to have an interaction with Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, the rest of the crowd is like, okay, this is why we came. This is why we took off work. This is why we canceled the vacation. Here it is. It's going to happen. We're going to witness a miracle. This is going to be awesome. And this is what happens next. As we finish out verse 5, it said, He said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, Jesus. Jesus, hold up. You, this man is paralyzed. We, we all know this man. We've lived with him. He's always in the center of a town. He's not faking it. He's, he's paralyzed. Aren't you going to do something about that? Some of the other people in their crowd, they hear Jesus say that. <gasps> Can he do that? Is he, is he allowed to forgive sins? Who does this man think? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? I don't, I don't really know. What do you think? Can he? I don't, and people are, are starting to freak out of what Jesus is doing. My question is, is what is Jesus getting at in this moment? What is he trying to communicate to the crowd? And what is he trying to tell us 2,000 years later about an interaction with a paralyzed man? This is how the story continues in verse 6. It says, now some teachers of the law were sitting there. We call these guys Pharisees. Thinking to themselves. Everyone say thinking. Point to your head. This is where you do the thinking, right? 
They were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming, meaning he's claiming to be God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, there it is, that's our key word, youth is. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Or get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth. To forgive sins. So this man, he's been lowered in front of Jesus from the ceiling. This is kind of just all unfolding. And I see the paralyzed man kind of looking at Jesus. Hey, Jesus, you know I'm right here. I'm going to get back to you in a second, okay? I know you're paralyzed. I'm going to take care of that, but I'm going to finish trolling these Pharisee fools. I'm going to put them in their place first. You see, it is this exact moment in which this story, in which what is about to unfold becomes controversial. Because the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were still trying to make up their mind about who Jesus was. That they were probably here on a scouting mission. We've heard the rumors about Jesus. We've heard the things that he's taught. We've heard the things that he said and that he's done. Maybe or maybe not. Let's kind of figure this out. And what Jesus is actually doing is he's Christ-lensing himself if you remember that tool from our last series, that Jesus is beginning to apply the prophets and who God is to his whole life. You see, up until this point, there were only one person who could forgive sins, and that was the Lord. Now, the Old Testament priest, the way it worked in that time, what you would do is if you needed to repent of your sins, you would become aware of that. You would then grab an animal that was sufficient for the sacrifice for your sins. You would go to the priest at the temple, and you would say, I have committed this sin. Here is my sacrifice. Can you mediate between God and I the forgiveness of my sins? To which the Old Testament priests, they would take that animal, they would sacrifice it, and that is how the forgiveness of sins went in the Old Testament time. Because there had to be blood, there had to be payment in order for forgiveness of sins to occur. But even in those moments, the priests never, ever, ever had the authority or the power to, prefer, to forgive sins based on their words alone. That was reserved for God and God only. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13 says that the Lord has put away your sin when he's talking to David. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they're struggling with God. And this is the, probably the moment, the stake in the ground in which they begin to take it upon themselves to try to take out Jesus. Because this man wasn't just claiming to be God. He was also claiming to have the power and the authority to forgive sins on his own strength. There's this passage in the book of Deuteronomy called the Shema. It's the cornerstone passage of the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 6, chapter chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is, what's this word here? One. And so this would have been an alarm bell going off in the mind of the religious leader saying, wait, 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 hold up. What we know about God is there is only one God. It's not God and a man. It's not God and another God. That there is simply one God, one Lord, one Yahweh who has the power and the ability to forgive these sins. And this is why they're struggling with Jesus. 
But Jesus says, I am the son of man. I am the son of God. I have that power. And in an instant, our passage becomes, we're going to use a big word here, becomes Trinitarian. And what we mean by that is there's a doctrine called the Trinity, that God exists as a three in one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all are separately equal God. They're all separate, but they're all equally God. They all have the power and the authority to exercise the the divinity of who the Lord is. But that's for a whole different time. So this is where we're picking up, right? So in verse 9 here, and then Jesus asks this rhetorical question. Just ask this rhetorical question. The the Pharisees, they're thinking this, and he asks a rhetorical question. Well, let me ask you, what's easier? Because I know what you're thinking. I know what's in your heart. What is easier to do? To heal a man of paralysis or to forgive sins? I like to think that there was some yahoo in the back of the crowd. Forgive his sins, duh. (laughs) What Jesus is playing at is saying, if I can know your thoughts, if I can know what's in your heart, how can I not be God? And he's playing at the intensity, the purpose of his mission. He's making a point that I think he wants us all to understand. Is that our greatest need is the forgiveness of our sin. Our greatest need in this life is the forgiveness of our sin. This paralyzed man is lowered to the feet of Jesus. And the first things out of Jesus' mouth is not you are healed. Rather, it is you are healed are forgiven. That when Jesus battles with sin, he is the only one that comes out triumphant. Just a little bit time after this, Jesus will willingly suffer and die as the servant for us all on the cross. He will go to the grave and raise three days later that anyone who professes faith that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, has a forgiveness of their sins. The ones who say that Jesus is worthy to be followed and I will listen to his gospel and to his truth. But I can't help but think, as the paralyzed man is laying there in front of Jesus, he might have different thoughts. Well, Jesus, forgiveness of sin is all good, but I still can't move. I can't help but think that's sometimes how we approach our faith as well. Well, Jesus, the forgiveness of sin in my life is good, but I've got a pretty big problem that I need you to take care of. I'll I'll take the forgiveness of sins too, but if you could address this kind of first and foremost, that would be great. Jesus, I've got this marital strife, and we just can't seem to get along. The love has just gone, and I, I just don't know what to do. The forgiveness of sin is great, Jesus, but if you could handle that, that would be great. Jesus, the money is just so tight around our home, so if you could just make something happen, that would just be awesome. Jesus, the forgiveness of sin is, is really cool and all, but I've got this, this job that's just terrible. I've got this boss that's just, he's just whack, and I, and I just, I can't take it anymore. Jesus, forgiveness of sin is good, but I've got this internal struggle. I've got this anxiety. I've got this relationship. I've got these things going on in my life that if you could just take those away, then I think everything would make sense. I've got this friend. I've got this family member, this loved one who's got cancer. Thank you for the forgiveness of your sin, but can you handle this as well too? Jesus, the forgiveness of your sin is great, but have you ever had kids because they're crazy? (laughs) They make some pretty weird choices at times, and so we're just trying to figure out how to be good parents. 
And what Jesus is trying to say with a paralyzed man sitting at his feet, he is trying to communicate to us the greatest need of our lives. It's the forgiveness of our sin more than anything else. Because the more we understand our sin, the more we understand our greatest need, the more we understand the weight, the gravity of the sin that we all have and live with, the more we appreciate the love of God in our lives, the more that forgiveness of sin is meaningful to us. That when we understand forgiveness, we understand love. And that when we understand love, we understand forgiveness. Look at how the story wraps up, picking up again in verse 10. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up. That word euthus is right there. It's just translated. He got up. Immediately he took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. So here it is, the story is wrapping up. This man is laying there and Jesus says, which is easier, to forgive the sins or to heal them? Because I already did the first. But fine, I'll play ball. Bro, get up, go. And he just kind of stands up, takes his mat. He's like, all right, cool, I'm out of here in front of everyone. And he goes home. What Jesus is doing, he's saying that I am the son of man. I have the authority, the power to forgive sins. I can do that because watch, I can do the visible things of this life that no one else can do, which gives me the power and the authority to forgive the invisible sins, to do the unthinkable in your life. Because it is God's decision and God alone of who can forgive sins. So let me ask you this question. What would you do if Jesus was standing before you? What comes to your mind when you think about Jesus? If you were that paralyzed man, if you were in that crowd, and you heard him forgive his sins, but did nothing else in that split moment, what is going through your heart and through your mind? I, mean, I can maybe ask the question this way. That if Jesus were to forgive you of your sin, but do nothing else in your life, would you say that that relationship with Jesus would be worth it? Because I bet the paralyzed man has that thought. Well, Jesus, thank you for the forgiveness of my sin, but I don't really know if that's all I need from you. And what Jesus is saying is saying, I am God. And what you need more than anything else in this life is not for your problems to be fixed. I'm not some type of genie that you rub a lamp and I come out and solve your life's problem. What you need more than anything else is for the sin that separates you and God to be healed so that you can eternally live with him once and for all. If all Jesus did was forgive you of your sins, would you say, that Jesus' act is worth it. See, if our greatest need is the forgiveness of our sin, then Jesus' greatest feat is his death on the cross. It's not the time in which he fed 5,000 men plus women and children with a boy's lunchable. 
It's not the time in which he calms a storm. It's not the time in which he walks on water and actually calls Peter to walk on water with him. It's not the time in which he heals the man with leprosy, casts out the demon, heals the man with paralysis. If our greatest need is the forgiveness of our sins in our life, then Jesus' greatest act is his death on the cross. And this is a reoccurring theme throughout the book of Mark, throughout all of the Gospels, that the healings are incredible, the teachings are like none other, they can transform our life, but the grace, the love, the Gospel message trumps it all. It is far superior, it is far greater than anything else that Jesus did. And as I was, I was studying for this message, Jesus, Jesus, what are you getting at? What are you trying to do here with, with this paralyzed man in this situation? I think what Jesus is saying, that this is not just a truth. But Eric, this is a desperate need of your life. I need you to get this. I need you to understand that the forgiveness of your sin, the weight of your sin is probably more than you can even uh, grasp. And, and you just, I need to teach you this over and over and over and over and over again. That the forgiveness of your sin is where it all stems from. It's where it all begins. That I am your savior, I'm not your genie. See, the one thing that Jesus expressed over and over, that he never held back, was his love. That he always welcomed people, he always taught he always told them about the magnitude of how great love is. The thing that Jesus did hold back from time to time were the miracles, were the healing. He didn't heal everyone, but he loved everyone to no end. As the Son of Man, he expressed this love, this ability to forgive sins as God. As our suffering servant, he expressed this love ultimately by his death on the cross. And so while our greatest need is the forgiveness of our sin, our greatest command is to love. As Jesus was going through his ministry in John chapter 13, he's looking at his friends and his, his disciples, and he looks at them and he says, a new command I give to you, to love one another. By your love, the world will know that you are my disciples. The command to love comes from the forgiveness that he has given unto us. The forgiveness that you and I all equally need. The forgiveness of sin that should be sufficient for our life. Because when we begin to experience the love of God like never before, it begins to transform each and every one of us. I think about the friends in this passage who, who dr literally drug their friend and blew a hole in the roof to lower their friend so that they could experience the love of Jesus. I think about that time 2,000 years ago where Jesus said, you want to know how much I love you? I'm going to die on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin that anyone who professes faith in me is born again. I think about Jesus' last words to us. When he says, go and make disciples of all nations, preach the gospel, baptizing them to believe. But do it with an unfathomable love that will change lives. So as we move to a time of response this morning, I want you to know something. I want you to know and hear this is that Jesus cares for you. 
that everything that you are going through, he knows. In the same ways in which he was able to hear the thoughts of the Pharisees and know the desires of their hearts, he can do the same for us. But we must never lose sight that Jesus' mission wasn't to necessarily fix our lives. It was to redeem us, to atone us, to forgive our sins so that we could live in shalom, in harmony, in unity with God. Not just in this life, but for all of eternity. So whatever you're going through in this life, and we all have things that we could say, Jesus, the forgiveness of sin is good, but I've got this thing. And you fill in the blank with whatever your thing is. Jesus knows, he hears you, but what he also is trying to say is saying, forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness teaches you about my love. My love teaches you about my forgiveness. And that love transforms everything. That one day when this life, this temporary life fades, you will begin to see and know how my love, my forgiveness has shaped your life, the people that you reached out to, your family, your loved ones, the ones that you brought with you to church, every single person. We just press pause and just forgive ourselves. Say thank you, Jesus, for the forgiveness you give for us. We might see some pretty incredible things happen. The story ends where it says they were amazed at what they saw. We don't know what they were amazed about, though. Were they, were, were they amazed that Jesus put the Pharisees in their place for the first time? And everyone was like, yeah, you tell them. Were they amazed at the fact that he could simply look at a man who was paralyzed and say, grab your mat and walk? Or were they amazed that this man who could do that spoke not just to the paralyzed man, but across the whole crowd. Son, your sins are forgiven. So we get ready to respond to the word of God this morning. Hang on to that amazement. Hang on to that kernel of truth. Jesus, when he looks at you, he sees, he knows, but his first concern is to transform your life, forgiveness of your sin. Some of you might be here this morning and it's the first time you're hearing that gospel, that you're hearing that good news, that you don't earn that forgiveness of sin, but it's something that Jesus speaks into your life freely because of this thing called grace. And if that's you, think about this, wrestle with it. Is Jesus worthy to be followed? For those of you in this room who have made that profession before, maybe it's been months, maybe it's been years, maybe it's been decades, never forget that the most important thing that Jesus can and ever will do in your life is to make you a new creation in the eyes of God by forgiving your sins by his death on the cross and his death on the cross alone. Let that forgiveness tell you about his love and let that love transform your life. May we be amazed day after day, week after week, year after year of all of the things that Jesus can do.
Would you bow in prayer with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we lift up your name. We thank you for your son, Jesus, our suffering servant, who will willingly die on the cross 2,000 years ago. Who did it simply to say that I love you. I love this world. I love this creation. I want everyone to know that. I want everyone to, to have that experience, that, that they can see that, that even amidst that life's hardest trials, that life's hardest moments, that all the stuff that we're going through, that the forgiveness of our sins is, is the greatest need that Jesus can overcome. And if, if that is you this morning, if, if, if you are listening to this for the first time, just respond to that. Say, Jesus, thank you. I express my faith that it is only because of your love through your grace on the cross that I can be forgiven of my sins, that there is no strength, there is no merit that I can do to make that happen. And if that's you this morning, we'd love for you just to let us know. You can take out that connect card and you can just fill it out and, and let us know that. I want to become a follower of Jesus, that Jesus is worthy to be followed. And for those of us in the room who have made that decision before, God, we offer ourselves before you. Forgive us in the times and in the moments in which we say, well, well God, the forgiveness of sin is great, but, 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 what about this? What about this? What about this? May we trust and lean everything that you do in our lives. May we be amazed at your willingness for us. It's your name that we pray. Amen. As the band continues to lead us in a couple more songs, we invite you to respond to the good news of Jesus this morning. There are stations all throughout the room, these little tables, and at these tables we have what we call communion. There is a little cracker and little juice that represent the greatest act of servanthood, the greatest act of suffering so that we can have the forgiveness of sins. The cracker represents the body of Christ that was broken for you on the cross. And the juice represents the blood of Christ that was spilt for you on the cross. So whether you're a member, a regular tender, if you're just checking things out, but you have said, yes, Jesus, you are worthy to be followed, that only you can offer me the forgiveness of your sins, that I am a believer, we invite whenever you're ready, whenever you feel, feel led to approach one of these tables and remember that Jesus is our suffering servant. There are connect and respond boxes all throughout the room. And if you have one of those connect cards or you brought your tithe and offering with you this morning, we invite you to do this during the time or drop it in one of the boxes on your way out the door. And lastly, we've got these benches here at the front of the stage. And maybe you just need to come this morning and you need to say, Jesus, Jesus, I've gotten things a little confused. I've gotten things out of order. Forgive me, Lord. May I never neglect, may I never underestimate the power your forgiveness, the power of your love this morning. Maybe there's something going on in your life and you just need to lay it before him and say, Jesus, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I trust that your forgiveness of, of my sins is what I need most, but I could really, 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 really use your guidance in this as well too. Would you stand with us this morning as we continue to worship Jesus Christ, our suffering servant?